Welcome to the SBI Podcast, offering CEOs, sales and marketing leaders ideas to make the number. Welcome, everybody. This is Greg Alexander, co-founder and CEO of SBI, and welcome to the weekly SBI podcast series. Today, we got a killer show for you because we got a rock star guest. Joining me today is Steve Byers, and Steve is the global chief human resources officer for the AMX division of Harman, the leading provider of premium audio and visual solutions. Harman has 14,000 employees and does $5.3 billion in annual sales. Steve has been in this position for 14 years, and prior to this, Steve led HR teams at Pratt Hotel Company, Fidelity Investments, Trammell Crow, and Texas Instruments. How about that for a resume? He has 32 years of HR experience and holds an undergraduate degree in economics, another one in psychology, and an MBA, all from the University of North Texas, Go Green, which happens to be my wife's alma mater. So, Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you, Greg. All right. Today's topic is one that is somewhat controversial, but since we have a veteran of human resources, I thought this would be a great one, and that is helping the CEO understand if he or she has the right sales and marketing leadership team. So allow me to put this in context. So in my practice and working with CEOs, they often confide in me that they don't trust their sales leader. He or she is looking for someone he can collaborate with on go-to-market strategy and instead sometimes feel as if he's being positioned or even manipulated in, in some situations by the sales leader. Lots of political back-slapping. And this is when we typically pull in the, the head of HR and we ask for help. And given the fact that Steve has been doing this for 32 years across a variety of companies, we thought he would have a great perspective on this. So, Steve, my question would be to you, have you seen this? And if so, what do you do in this situation? Well, no softball topics this morning, huh, Greg? <laughs> um, dig right into this. Uh, yes, I think uh, anyone that's been around the business world for a while has seen this because at the heart of any business is, is, is revenue, and so the sales leader is so key to the business. And within that, you have so many issues that get everyone very focused on that portion of the business. And so creating trust, not only with the CEO, but across the entire executive team, is so key so that everyone's aligned and everyone's moving towards the same objectives, and they're doing it in concert. And I've seen it where it wasn't working well, and... You can look at the numbers and say, well, how are, how are sales growing? Are, they, are you hitting your numbers? Well, that's, that's one metric, but that's only one of the metrics. And you may be growing, but you aren't capturing all the market share available. Or you might be growing at the expense of long-term objectives. And so there's a lot of things to be, to be wary of. But the first key is, how is the sales leader trusted? Is he trusted by the CEO, by the board, by the executive team, by the sales leader's team, um, their self? And so that, to me, is, is the first. Does, it, does the sales leader exemplify the values and the culture of the company? Mm. Or is the sales leader a, wa a walking brand for the company? Mm. Um, does he help differentiate the company from the competition? There's so many elements of looking at this that, that differentiate success and failure. 
And, and it really is more than just about the numbers. Yeah. I, I love the term, the walking brand. You know, so in over your long and successful career, when you've bumped into this from time to time, and you've had to counsel the sales leader on how to, because trust, trust has to be earned. It doesn't happen overnight. How do you counsel a sales leader on how to earn trust, as you said, not just from the CEO, but the entire executive leadership team? Well, everyone has to realize we're all on the same team, and the team is the key concept. We're all contributors, and if any one of us is failing, then the whole thing's not going to go forward as mm. it should. And so we all have this interdependency upon each other for ultimate success. And so there has to be that trust that we're all helping each other. And the sales leader can't just go out and make the numbers work and be the rock star and say, hey, I did it, I did it. Um, it really is more about we we are all going to succeed or fail. It's just like on a Sunday afternoon, the, the great quarterbacks in the league, they'll hold up the trophy, but then they'll bring their offensive linemen, the defense, they'll thank the coaches, everyone else. They'll realize it was a team effort. Mm. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, when I've encountered this, it usually follows, you know, a disappointing quarter or two where, you know, two or three weeks before the quarter closes, the sales leader is confident that he's going to hit the number. And he shares that with the CEO. So the CEO is, you know, communicating to the various stakeholder groups, in some cases, Wall Street, maybe the board or what have you you know, that everything is good. And in the B2B world where you have a hockey stick where, you know, a big piece of the revenue comes in at the end of the quarter and then a couple of deals push and everybody misses the number. And this is when, you know, the CEOs have turned to me and said, you know, hey, can I really trust this guy? And sometimes it's an unfair characterization because it wasn't as if he was trying to deceive anybody. He thought the business was going to come in and to the information that he had indicated that, but it just didn't happen. So if you look at the other side of the coin here, where sometimes CEOs, particularly those who haven't come up through the sales ranks, you know, they something like that happens, it's unfortunate, and they jump to the conclusion, you know, that maybe the sales leader can't be trusted before they really understand what happened. And at times things are outside of the control of the sales leader. So when working with CEOs, who you have many times, what, what advice would you give CEOs that might be listening to this show on, you know, kind of how to process that situation and think about it in a balanced way? Well, we all recognize no one likes surprises. Mm. Uh, the CEO doesn't want to have that conversation with the shareholders. Um, the rest of the executive team doesn't like those surprises. If you have uh, products that you're producing, you don't want to suddenly have a lot of products sitting on the shelf that you're expecting to, to ship out. Um, it's just a ripple effect it is huge when you have a surprise like that, as you well know. Mm -hmm. And so first, the, the, the first question is, what happened? Um, because if the sales leader is so out of touch with the business that he is surprised and it becomes a regular event, then you've got a huge problem, obviously, mm -hmm. um, because the sales leader really needs to know where is that revenue coming in, what is the likelihood, what are the risks, um, so he can clearly communicate that with not only the CEO but the rest of the team because all of us are working towards the same objectives and all of us are pushing in terms of having the right expense structure in place for that revenue structure, having the right products and services in place. There's a lot that goes into it from everyone. And so if there's a surprise, what happened? Mm -hmm. And so there needs to be an honest accounting of what happened so it doesn't happen again because if it happens regularly, then obviously there's a big problem. Mm -hmm. 
you know, the honest accounting piece is such a critical element there, you know, and this is where I really think a world-class HR leader can play a role. You know, they can create this environment where this authentic, honest, you know, non-judgmental conversation can take place so that we can get to the uh, root cause of the issue. So it's, it's a great point. Absolutely. I think honesty is, is so key. I, I, we love to have an environment where you encourage risk-taking, where you encourage innovation, where you have transparency of decision-making. But within that, there has to be an honesty with everyone that that's such an, an integral part of the values of the company that says, okay, we're not going to judge anybody, but we have to be honest, and then we'll work through whatever issues there are together. Yeah. Um, without that environment, then people become distrustful of, of sharing information at all levels, including at the highest levels. And so that's just a very unhealthy environment at any company. Yeah, I agree. Okay, we're talking with Steve Byers, the Chief Human Resources Officer uh, at AMX, which is Division of Harmon. And today's topic is uh, how HR can help the CEO understand if he has the right sales and marketing leadership team. We're going to take a quick break right now. And when we come back, we're going to shift the conversation with Steve to when the issue isn't trust-based, it's competency-based. So stick with us. We'll be right back. Want tomorrow's best practices today? Subscribe to the SBI blog. These aren't best practices. These are emerging best practices. Maybe this is why SBI blog readers are the most respected sales and marketing leaders in the world. For your free subscription, go to salesbenchmarkindex.com. Welcome back, everybody. We're here with Steve Byers, the Chief Human Resources Officer at AMX, the division of Harmon. And today's topic is uh, how HR can help help the CEO understand if he has the right sales and marketing leadership team. And Steve, right before the break, we were discussing how to create this environment that allows for authentic, you know, honest conversations between the CEO and his leadership team, and in this particular case, sales and marketing. And you gave some great advice around building this trust-based relationship, but sometimes the issue isn't trust. And the CEO does feel he's getting the truth. But the question still remains, which is, do I have the right leader in this role? And again, I think this is a great opportunity for HR to partner with the CEO to properly assess the situation. So the situation that I'm referring to is, you know, we have a corporate strategy, you know, and the person who's leading the sales team and the marketing team has to execute against that strategy. And we're questioning at this point, you know, does that person's particular skill set line up with what it is that we need at this moment in time? So... Have you seen this over your long career, and, and if so, what advice would you offer the audience? Uh, yes, Greg, I have uh, unfortunately run into this. I would assume most a lot of folks have, and I've run into it from a couple of different ways. One, the company grows and expands beyond the ability of a leader. Um, I've also seen where you, you hire a leader from the outside, and then you later find out maybe didn't have quite the skill set that you thought that they did. And so I've seen it in two different ways. And I guess at the end of the day, it both comes down to the same thing. Can, is, can you correct? Is, is, this, is this competency a correctable uh, situation for you within a, a reasonable time frame to continue the business moving forward? And hopefully most times it's something that whatever this competency issue may be, if it's singular or multiple, it can be addressed. You can correct that competency or, or build on it, and it doesn't harm the leader's ability to continue performing the job. And, and if that's the case, you can do it internally, or you can bring in outside experts to help 
build that competency. But if it's not, and that's where it gets more tricky, and I think this is, is very common also, is the competency is, is not there, and you really can't correct that within a time frame without disrupting the business. And in that case, then you have to make a change. Yeah. And, uh, and you have to step up to it. And, and you see businesses suffer because there's a hesitancy to make a change. And I think the worst thing you can do within a business is you hire the right people. But if you, in some cases you don't have the right people, you need to make a change um, in some way because everyone around that individual is looking for them to pull their weight. And if they don't, then it pulls, pulls the whole team down. Yeah. You know, you mentioned time period there. So this competency issue, can it be corrected in a reasonable time period? I, I want to talk to you about this. It seems like today, especially in a public company, expectations is so high in this question of time. How much time does somebody have to fix an issue that they may be dealing with? And, you know, addressing a competency does take time. It's not going to happen overnight. Um, is there a generic answer to this question? You know, how much time should you give somebody to fix a competency? No, Greg, there's really not, because there's so many variables that go into play, as you well know. Um, there's the length of the sales cycle. The competencies could be affecting things that are going to impact you for years in the future. If you have a long sales cycle, if you have a short sales cycle, you're seeing them immediately. Um, you're also the depth of the competency impacting the, um, the issue, and how can you build around that and create a support structure around that while that person's being corrected? Does it exist or does it not exist? Um, there are so many variables that go into this of, okay, is there a way we can work around this while we correct it? Um, sometimes there is, sometimes there's not. Yeah. And, and again, I want to highlight that, you know, having a great HR leader as your partner, as a CEO, is so important here because, you know, sometimes a CEO doesn't have experience in this area. You know, maybe he or she didn't come up through sales and marketing and doesn't even know what the competency problem is, or, or if he does recognize what the competency issue is, doesn't have an appreciation for the length of time it's going to take to fix it. So by turning to an HR professional who's skilled in competency assessments or maybe has a group of service providers to rely on, expectations can be set correctly there. And replacing these leaders in these two functions is so disruptive because it's, you know, if you do decide to replace somebody, it takes time to find the person and then convince them to join your company, and then they have to get their legs underneath them, and it can be really damaging to the business. And one of the things that I have found is it's so key for the HR leader to have the trust and the open communication and dialogue with the CEO and the board, but also with the sales leader and, and the rest of the team. Um, if you only have the trust and the communications open on one side of it, then you're really not able to maneuver and be a part of the solution as, as much as it's so critical in making something like this work. And within that, part of the trust is developing a culture and a reputation and knowledge and belief from everyone that regardless of what happens, you're going to be fair with the individual. Mm -hmm. And that regardless of what happens, um, and usually what I've found, if the individual knows that you're going to be fair and you're going to treat them with respect and you're going to help them in every way possible, then they're going to be honest. And usually they will say, I can do this or I cannot do this, and let's figure out how we move this forward. Mm -hmm. So the individual usually has a lot of pride and they want to be successful and they don't want to be in a situation where they're not going to be successful. And so they can help make the decision with you many times. Yeah. So let's talk about the HR leader earning the trust of the leadership team, the CEO and the executive leadership team. You know, I come into contact with HR leaders in our practice fairly regularly, and I would, I'm going to generalize here, which isn't fair, but I would put them into one of two categories. 
The first category, which is the desired state, is, you know, an HR leader who who is a strategist, you know, who is a trusted confidant of the CEO and the leadership team and is a key member of the strategy formulation. Then there's the other type of HR leader that unfortunately sometimes, you know, is a little tactical and is really only focused on administrative duties um, and things that might not be, you know, CEO worthy. Um Everybody, all the HR leaders that I work with want to be in the first camp. They want to be that, you know, trusted right-hand person and that strategist. But they have a hard time getting there. So you've been doing this for 32 years, and clearly you're a strategist. How'd you go from tactician to strategist in the role of HR? <laughs> well, I um, I try and build my teams to be um, strategists also. And I guess I wound up by default because I never planned to be an HR leader. I <laughs> I started out uh, my career in a, in a management rotation program at Texas Instruments where I worked in all the functional areas and and gained skills in each of the areas. And from that, I stay involved in all areas mm-hmm. of the business, although I've wound up um, being in, in HR as my functional uh, area of expertise. But I still get involved. In fact, I have later today, I'm going on a sales call uh, with a, a major lead client that I help bring in, and I'm going to help um, that all the way through the sales process. Um, I also am going to be sitting in this afternoon also with one of our R&D projects, um, trying to move a product forward. And I encourage those folks who work for me, when they first begin working for me on the HR teams, to do exactly the same thing. Mm. Understand the business. Go out and become involved in the business. Learn the business whether it's a service or a product, go out and become part of it all the way to the, to the loading docks. Go back, understand what those folks face, help them out occasionally, get involved, learn what those folks are doing, and all the way through the sales, all the way through the product development, learn all those businesses, and you're going to have a whole different orientation for how things work. And by another, another way of looking at it also is I found very, very valuable if you're sitting in headquarters and you have all this information around you, you see all the decision makers, and you have that, that environment around you, don't just spend time in headquarters. Get out in the field. The whole, the whole thing looks very differently when you're in the field. It doesn't matter if you're a global organization and you're going to go to your office in China or Germany, or the same thing would go if you're going to your office in Detroit or New York. Things look a little different than they do in headquarters, and I encourage people in the HR organization to get out work with those people, go out on sales calls, be a part of the business, and you're going to have a whole different appreciation for what is the business all about and how can you help that business move forward. You just made my day. An HR leader who's making sales calls. I wish there was a million of you in the world. That's fantastic. Everyone from HR who's listening to this, take that to heart. Get out there, ride with the sales reps, meet with customers, learn the business. This is how you become a strategist. All right, we're going to cut to a break real quick. and we come back, we're going to talk about search, executive search. Making your number is hard. Your problems are complex. Complex problems need complex solutions. Introducing the SBI Magazine. Read in-depth stories written by award-winning journalists about how your peers have overcome their problems to make the numbers. When you need more than a tweet, social post, or blog article, turn to the SBI Magazine. Go to salesbenchmarkindex.com to subscribe. Welcome back, everybody. I'm here with Steve Byers, Global Human Resources Officer at AMX, a division of Harmon. 
And we're having a very interesting conversation here around helping the CEO understand if he has the right sales and marketing leadership team. And up to this point in the podcast, we've been discussing issues such as trust and competency assessments, et cetera. And we're kind of using a use case here. So let's continue with that use case. So Steve, let's say that the the analysis that you did on behalf of the CEO, the competency analysis, confirms the CEO's fears. And there is a need for a new sales or marketing leader. And they come to you and ask for help in hiring the right one. And when I've seen this, I see CEOs sometimes, um, you know, they have some battle scars. They have made a hiring mistake in this function before, and they don't feel as if they can afford to make another mistake. And because of that, they doubt their abilities sometimes, and they ask for counsel, which is wise of them to do that. And HR can play such a key role here. Um, Have you seen this? And if so, what do you do about it? If you are making a change, um, and how do you how do you move forward from that? Is that the question, Greg? Yeah, the question is: the CEO comes to you and says, "Okay, so I thought I had a problem with my sales and marketing leader. We've done an assessment, and realized that we do. We've tried to fix the competency. We can't fix it, so we need to make a change." However, me as the CEO, I've I've mishired in this in this role before, so I don't trust my own abilities to pick the right candidate. So I'm coming to you, my HR partner. And, and asking you to help me hire the right person. Right. Well, I <laughs> unfortunately, all the problems you've indicated on this podcast, I've run across. <laughs> <laughs> I figured you might. I don't know if that's good or bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, um, and, yeah, I, I don't think this is a unique problem. Um, it might be unique in people admitting it, but hmm. um, it, 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 it does exist, and I think we're all aware and have seen it. And, and in moving forward and trying to make sure that the assessment um, process uh, moving forward is as effective as possible really is dependent upon having multiple views of the various candidates and the various options uh, moving forward. And, and I like to do, do it a couple of things. One, I think all of us have a variety of succession plans and development plans uh, trying to create successors in place. But I think it's also equally important to make sure when you, when you have those plans in place that you also give at least equal weight to developing a very strong applicant pool from the outside. And so you, you have a wide, wide net cast of who are, what are all your possibilities in going forward. And then examining what worked and didn't work of prior candidates, not just the, the most recent one, but all the candidates that you can go back and look at the things that made them successful, the things that made them not as successful, um, what has changed in the marketplace now that you need to emphasize more or less, and looking at those and giving those the appropriate weighting. And if you're working with a search firm, then making sure they understand these things completely and are really focused in the right ways. And if you're not, then you're, then you're working through social media and, and casting the net yourself. But once you get that app, that, that large pool of qualified applicants, then I like to involve as many um, perspectives on the, um, the selection as possible, uh, with the board being involved, if you have any volunteers from that, certainly the CEO. Um, the um, peers on the executive team, always really, really helpful to get their perspective, and some of the direct reports on the sales team. I think having really a 360-degree process is very, very possible 
very, very positive experience and getting everyone's buy-in and moving forward. And it, it's good to get all these different perspectives, not just from a screening tool, uh, but also you have that immediate buy-in whenever a selection decision is made that everyone has bought into this and everyone's going to help because they have buy-in and they're going to help this person, this individual, become very successful moving forward. And the CEO can feel some relief that they have, they have this group of people that are helping move this thing forward and, and seeing the, the same individual from so many different perspectives. Yeah. You know, you talked about uh, using a search firm, and there's many great ones out there. And, you know, even within the big search firms, there's great search professionals. What's your opinion on choosing a search firm, generalist or specialist? And try to relate that to the specific task here, which is hiring a sales leader and or marketing leader. Can you hire a generalist firm or do you need to go with a boutique specialist firm? Well, that's, that's an excellent question, and every time we are at that crossroads, we have to make that decision, and, as, and I'll, I'll point out the obvious that everyone knows. You go with a big-name firm, everyone's going to take that phone call because you want to have a great relationship with that big-name firm. On the other side of the coin, they have a very large hands-off list of folks they cannot work with because they've placed them recently, mm-hmm. and, and they've worked with those companies, and so that's their pluses and minuses, and we all know whereas a boutique firm has a much wider net of being able to cast of, um, of candidates because they have a smaller hands-off list, but um, they also don't have the visibility to all the candidates across the spectrum because they are a smaller firm. They don't have all the resources and all the research teams and so forth, and so it really is going to come into what the unique uh, needs are of the individual company and in trying to assess what type of firm to go with. But at the end of the day, you've got to You've got to, I always like to talk to both when we're, when we're making a decision like that and have them come in and explain what they're going to do, how they're going to do it, and recognize that the folks you're meeting with and ask them those hard questions. Who's going to really do the research of developing the candidate pool? Is it you sitting across the table from me or is it people that are going to be working from me for you yeah. who may or may not be there sitting there? Yeah, that's good advice. I agree with you. I, I think... It's highly situational. At times, the big search firms are perfect. At other times, the boutique is perfect. It really depends on the situation. Okay, we're going to take one more break. And when we come back, we're going to shift our focus to compensating the sales and marketing leader. So come back after the break. Many sales and marketing podcasts are all talk. Boring, tired advice that sucks valuable time from your day. Had enough? We thought so. The SBI Podcast offers executable insider strategies from proven professionals, not useless chatter. Go to iTunes and search for Sales Benchmark Index Podcast and subscribe. Okay, here we are with Steve Byers, Chief Human Resources Officer for the AMX Division of Harmon. And we've been discussing helping the CEO understand if he or she has the right sales and marketing leader. And we've been using kind of a hypothetical case here and walking through the different decision points. So where we are in our journey right now is we've gone out to the market, potentially used an executive search firm, and we have found, you know, the perfect candidate. But what we've learned is that this candidate is expensive. And the CEO goes to the HR leader and says, help me craft a compensation plan that lands the candidate, but prevents me from overpaying. So Steve, this is always a tricky subject because 
A player talent tends to be costly, and CEOs, you know, sometimes don't like to pay up, so to speak, to get the talent. So, how do you finesse that situation? Well, it's it's what is the cost uh, to the business, and some businesses have well, every business has a different margin, and every business the cost of additional revenue. What is what is the value of that? If it's a business that that is. Um, you can you know exactly what your revenue is going to be two years from now or one year from now, and the value is not nearly as great yeah. as, as you know you can hire this new sales leader and you expect to have a bump in revenue of twenty percent with high margins. And so, you know, questions that you ask like that can give you some real insights into what type of leeway and what type of value add there is. Because paying someone a lot of money when the value creation isn't there is just foolish, obviously. But most sales leaders are going to make a tremendous difference, and most companies look to them to make that tremendous difference. And so business as usual and isn't rewarded. It's got to be that exceptional business that they wouldn't have had otherwise. And then what is the value of that additional revenue, and what, how should they be rewarded within that structure? And, and I agree. I, to me, I love it when you have sales leaders and even individual bag-carrying salespeople who are making as much or more than CEO. I think that's a wonderful scenario if they're delivering that kind of value. Mm-hmm. I think those are great success stories and, and because they're creating that kind of value, and that's an incredible thing. Um, those are rare individuals, but if you can find them, they are well worth their, 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 their dollars. Now, what about on the marketing side? Because... <clears throat> It's a little more difficult to measure the contribution of the marketing leader. Um, But as we know, a great CMO is so valuable and so rare. Is it the same approach there? Well, that's that's uh, (laughs) another interesting one you've, you've, you've brought up because I think the ongoing joke in business is everyone looks around all the business functions and they go and marketing departments having a great time they go now what is it those guys do <laughs> um, but in reality the marketing department has changed over the years from just the, the department that created a bunch of campaigns and ads and shows and things like that to a department that really because of social media and because of of the way companies create their brand and their image and their solution to end users and customers the marketing department is taking a front stage suddenly and if your marketing department isn't really working and delivering that through technology as suddenly the market has changed over the last 10 years so dramatically, then you've got the wrong marketing department. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there are ways now that the marketing department can be every bit as critical as your sales department. Mm-hmm. And, and measurable, right, with all of the Absolutely. Uh, analytics. Yeah. Okay. All right. So let's, let's kind of wrap up what we've learned here today. And... Um, give the audience some takeaway value. Um, let me make a contribution first, and then, Steve, I'll ask you to make some specific rec- recommendations to the audience and things that they can do you know, immediately following this podcast. So the subject today was how human resources plays a role in helping the CEO understand if he or she has the right sales and marketing leadership team, how to think through that process and make a sound decision. So if you are a CEO with these problems, my recommendation is to partner with your HR leader to find a solution. And uh, as many have done with Steve, as you just heard over the course of his career. If you're head of HR and have been approached by your CEO with this issue and need sales and marketing specific domain help, our firm potentially is a source of education for you. And you can go to our website, salesbenchmarkindex.com. And when you get there, click on the About Us section 
and then click on Our Services, and you'll see a service offering titled Talent Program. And within that service offering, there's all kinds of educational materials, systems, methods, processes, tools, templates, things that you can put to work that I hope you will find valuable. So that would be my recommendation uh, to the audience members. Steve, how about maybe something that might be a little bit more broad than that? Because obviously there's lots of things that you could do here in many providers. What maybe are the two to three things you would advise one of your peers to go do right now if faced with this challenge? I would make sure that you have developed trust with the sales leader, the CEO, and the executive team, because that is so key um, to being able to work a situation like this to any successful outcome. I would then look at what are the accountabilities that need to be in place and make sure they're fully understand by all parties, and they're all reasonable. Um, And then I would make sure everyone knows what those accountabilities are and they're being communicated. Um, And then look and see what are your options as a business to move forward and how you're going to be most effective in moving forward. And there are so many options, as we've talked about. But I think that transparency, engagement, trust, all those are so key in moving forward and getting everyone to work together um, within the sales team, the executive team, the board, uh, the CEO, and making sure the outcome is, as everyone would agree, this is the appropriate outcome for this situation. Um, and, and apart from that, I'll also, and Greg didn't ask me to say this, but I'll say SBI has been so helpful to us in looking at how we approach our go-to-market strategy uh, over the years that I can't say enough for Greg and his team, how helpful they've been to us. Well, I appreciate that. And um, I want to, on behalf of the listeners, thank you for being on the show. I mean, I hit you with a really hard topic. Um, the reason why I came at you with this hard topic is because you have 30 plus years experience with some of the world's great companies in dealing with this very issue. And that's rare. And I, and I find my clients in this situation, you know, nervous and they don't know necessarily how to think through this. So your counsel was very appreciated. Thank you for giving us our time and I hope to see you soon. Thank you, Greg. This has been the SBI podcast. For more information on SBI services, case studies, the SBI team and how we work, or to subscribe to our other offerings, please visit us at salesbenchmarkindex.com.